welcome to Brigham Young Money. This is Jordan. Um, I don't have Greg, I don't have Kyle with me, but I do have someone who's a little more special to me than even those two are. Do you want to say hello? Uh, it sounds like you're introducing our cat. Do you want to say hi? Um, hi, I am Elise. I am Jordan's wife. Uh, I am here today because we're going to be talking about some education bills during this legislative session. Uh, that's especially near and dear to my heart because I'm a teacher in the Salt Lake Valley. And also because the cat turned me down first. The cat is not as articulate as we would like her to be sometimes. <laughs> um, also, it should be mentioned, you are a teacher. You. I just heard... said that. Did you bring that up? I said I'm a teacher in the Salt Lake Valley. Oh, right, 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 right. So instead of um, just... This, these listening skills are really fun for our marriage. <laughs> so instead of uh, three guys just who have no real inside knowledge about any of this stuff, we actually thought we'd do something we rarely do and actually bring an expert on to talk about this or someone who's directly involved in said process. In the field. So... um. First of all, during the state of the state address, our dear governor we love so much decided asked the legislature to declare this the year of the teacher. Mm -hmm. And then the legislative session has a definitely done that as well wouldn't you say yeah i'm actually gonna back up um about a month ago i got a phone call from my grandpa who his mother was a teacher he loves that i'm a teacher and he was delighted to tell me that spencer cox had announced that the legislature was going to try to give teachers a six thousand dollar a year raise not just a one-time stipend a raise he was giddy i was excited about it but i thought hang on what is happening here? Uh, which was a good instinct because when I looked it up, it became immediately apparent that the $6,000 a year raise is essentially a bribe. Uh, there is a bill on the floor this year uh, that has passed the house that is just basically renaming vouchers. Uh, for those of you who don't know, a voucher is a chance for a private family essentially to take their state funding for education and use it for either private schools or homeschooling. Um, in 2007, this became a big passion project of a few legislators, and it was pretty clear that people in Utah were not interested. They shot it down. Every time a poll is done on this, it's 96 to 97 percent of people say we don't want our state money being used for private school or for homeschooling. Uh, and yet here we are doing it again. But I heard the silent majority was actually in favor of this. And what's this voucher thing? They're called scholarships. Yeah, they're calling it the Utah Fits All Scholarship. Last year, it was the, I think, the Utah Hope Scholarship. They love to rename it because they know vouchers has really bad branding uh, because it's a terrible idea. It's a terrible idea. It is a terrible idea. So let's get into the, some of the details on this bill as well. Um, so what is this bill that our cat is currently... Very close to our Google Doc. <laughs> no, she's going to be a part of this, and hopefully we can stay focused, even though we do have the world's cutest cat. Um, so like I said, it was a bill that was established to let families take their state funding, um, but they've actually kind of upped the ante this year. On average, uh, we spend $4,000 per student in Utah, um, and this current bill would allow families to take $8,000 from the Utah Income Tax Fund, which is earmarked for education, and they would be able to use that for either homeschooling or private school tuition. That is amazing for that one. Um, you said it might be a violation of the Constitution for the state just because of how the bill is structured. Yeah, so the Utah State Constitution actually has um, some code in it that says that when bills hit the floor, they can only have one financial change. Um, and so there is a question of whether or not this bill is even 
constitutional because it is doing two things. It is offering teachers a raise while um, also doing the voucher change. And so uh, it's not super clear. And I would actually say it's very clear. Never mind. Let me back up. It's very clear that this is not constitutional, but they're trying to slide it through anyway. Um, one thing that's been particularly frustrating is that we knew this bill was coming, um, but the full text wasn't available until the very start of the legislative session. And so the full text became available and then the House decided to suspend their own rules in order to vote to support this bill less than 48 hours after the text was available. So a lot of groups weren't able to lobby. Legislators weren't able to read it. The implications were not fully understood because it was passed so quickly. And I think that was an intentional move. I think they know that the general public would not be a fan of this and they don't want to have to deal with the repercussions. So we're, we're, we're talking about the specifics of this bill, but... What does this mean for public education? Uh, a lot of things. Uh, I think we need to start by saying that Utah is consistently in the bottom five uh, states in their education spending per student. Um, in the news, you'll see that a lot as the WPU, the weighted per pupil unit. And that's essentially calculated by how many students a school has, how often they attend school, and then you do get a little extra credit for things like college and technical education and special education. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> um, you were just talking about essentially like what this means for education. Oh, yeah. Okay. So we are, <laughs> sorry. Uh, <laughs> we're really low in the nation. Um, depending on where you look, we are just neck and neck with Idaho in the bottom spot. And then you'll see that we're 50th and then it slides down to 51st if you start to include Washington, D.C. Um, I think there's a major misconception that that money is just used for teacher salaries. Um, so when you hear teachers getting upset about this, a lot of people like to call us money grabbers. Uh, but it has more to do with things like buildings, administrators, janitors, uh, nurses, social workers, counselors, all kinds of things that are supporting students in their learning. And, and so every time you're getting that little by little by taking that money somewhere else, you're hurting the kids that are left. And how much is that WPU for Utah right now? Uh, like I said earlier, it's about $4,000 a student. You know, it's it's funny. In preparation for this uh, for this uh, episode, I decided to um, I decided to look into what some other spending per annual basis for some other projects mm -hmm. of Utah. Prisoners get twenty two thousand dollars per year, right? Which, first of all, like if we really wanted to cut money, we probably shouldn't cut education. Maybe we just stop imprisoning as many people, and we could just have those savings there. But it's just interesting to me that it costs eighteen thousand more dollars per year to house a prisoner than it does to actually educate someone in the state. Well, and I mean, those numbers get a little questionable when you start looking at like where some of the other funding comes from, because obviously districts are able to use property taxes. Um, but comparably, we are tens of thousands of dollars behind other states <laughs> when it comes to per people spending. Um, and what that looks like is really big classes. Um, I was talking to a career and technical educator who was saying that in his welding classes, he's averaging 35 students with just him in that room, which becomes a major safety issue. Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine meeting the needs of, hold on. What's dangerous about welding? <laughs> Nothing. It's fine. It's safe. He was saying woodshop is the same thing. So you're seeing kids deal with like heavy machinery without adequate supervision. But even just beyond that, when you consider what an elementary school teacher does every day, getting to know those kids, what their needs are, where they are academically and getting them where they need to be. It's not realistic to do that when you have 35 kids in your room. And I think you hear Spencer Cox tout a lot that we do have really good performance measures in this state. Um, 
But the caveat to that is that we're doing it with very little money. You're taking advantage of a lot of free labor, essentially. I don't know a single teacher that only works during their contract hours. Um, and a lot of us are paying for things out of pocket. We are stretched so thin. I was saying this to a legislator the other day that the nurse at our school service is almost 5,000 students. Um, our social worker is split between five schools. Uh, the coaches that are there to help us be better teachers are also split between four to five schools. The things that are happening in our schools, like we're doing the very best we can. And I, I've yet to meet a teacher who isn't working tirelessly to be there for their students, but it is extremely hard when you're underfunded. Yeah. It, it feels like the Utah education system is functioning, but it's like held together like duct tape and paper clips at a yeah, certain point. It really is. And there are just so many things that could be better and our students could be better served. And when you consider how many kids we have per family in this state on average, like I just don't understand why you wouldn't want to be serving those kids better. If we're such a family focused state, part of that is making sure your kids are receiving an adequate education. Um, and it's hard to do that when you are underfunded and about to be funded even less. Yeah. Let's get into that actually. Um, Candace Perusi's bill, which is the one we're talking about here. Which I'm realizing we haven't said the name yet. Yes. It. Okay. And I'm realizing we haven't said the name yet. It is house bill 215 and it has passed the house already. And on Monday we'll be in the Senate education committee. Terrific. Okay. So this bill, it's, what it looks like is for the fit for all scholarship, which we talked about earlier, it doubles the amount of what that WPU stand spending is for from 4,000 to 8,000. So we should probably be careful. WP was a little bit different than the per pupil spending that they would be taking. Out. Okay. But yeah, it would be taking individual student money essentially and taking it to homeschools or uh, private schools. And I think, they're good at marketing it as being an equity issue, which anyone who knows me, equity is near and dear <laughs> to my heart. It's like the hill I will die on. Um, and they're saying that it's meant for students who are not being served in traditional public education. Uh, what is concerning about that is that that is not correct. Anywhere that vouchers have been passed, uh, you actually see a greater discrepancy between private and public schools happen because public schools, like I said, lose funding. Um, and it doesn't actually provide access for the students they claim it does. So I'm going to go through some groups here, if that's okay. That's totally fine. Uh, they love to say that the most impoverished families in our state will be able to access a private school education, which is absolute nonsense. We actually sat down and looked at some of the numbers. Uh, for the $8,000 that this bill would give to families, there is... There's maybe, there are maybe two schools in the state of Utah where that would even begin to cover tuition. Yeah. Like Reed school and our lady of Lords is even comparable to maybe doing, and that's just for tuition too. That's just for tuition. And then when you're looking at something like judge Memorial, it's $14,000 a year. Roland Hall and Waterford are averaging somewhere in the $20,000 a year just for tuition. And private schools are not required to provide transportation. Um, you often see fees rack up with things like uniforms. Anything you are doing extracurricular has a fee, uh, field trips have a fee. Those things rack up really fast. That $8,000 is a drop in the bucket of what you're going to be paying for a private school education. The spirit airlines of education. <laughs> Essentially. Um, and then we also really like to talk about how disabled students could be, uh, benefited by this. Um, the legislator who is 
the floor sponsor actually was mentioning that her mother was dyslexic and this would have been really helpful yeah, for her. I, I have to bring this up yeah, too because I, I saw that Robert Gerke was tweeting about it too and Candace Percy said, the system was created for students and the intent is to focus on student and learning empowerment. And then she cited her mom with dyslexia who said she wished she had it. The only problem is- Hold on, she, it said she wished she had the bill. Yes. Yes. The problem is it would not do anything to help her. Right, because- Private schools are not required to follow federal regulations. Um, not all, but many private schools actually require families to sign paperwork that says they understand they are waiving their rights to the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. Meaning if a student shows up with an existing special education document, they don't have to honor it. If they find out a student has a learning disability and they don't feel like they can service it, they can kick that kid out. It, it gets even better with House Bill 215 because this bill explicitly exempts private schools from providing any special ed or disability accommodations or services. Well, because that's already the reality. We already know that about private schools. When you look at their numbers, they are vastly disproportionate in their representation of students of color, of students of low socioeconomic status and students with disabilities because they get to cherry pick their population. Oh, yeah. And I think that also with this one, too, just going to like the, the homeschooling aspect of it, too, there is a, a bit of privilege that comes to being able to homeschool your child, because that means that one, you're able to operate off of a one income household, which mm -hmm. generally doesn't happen. And you have a pretty atomic family in itself, too, because that means you have a two parent household as well. So you're leaving a lot of people off of that just with that as well. Oh, absolutely. And you're leaving out rural families as well, because. um I mean, when you think about the fact that a lot of rural Utah, these kids are on buses for an extended amount of time to even get to public schools, there's no private school option for them. So you're taking money from their schools without <laughs> providing an option with the alternative. Whoa, 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 Elise. Come on. Those those kids in Mount Pleasant can definitely now afford that $40,000 a year education at Wasatch Academy. Right. But can you name many other private schools in rural Utah? No. Because they don't exist. <laughs> Uh, the teacher of the year teaches in Delta, and he was saying that their students have to travel hours for sporting events. And when I said, hey, is there a private school anywhere near you? He laughed at me. I mean, and he's he's a wonderful man. Let's be clear. He was not mocking me. But those resources don't exist. They're already struggling to service the needs of their students. And so, like I said, you're taking money from them, and they can't take that $8,000 anywhere. No. So this is essentially just a bill that services people that can already afford private, private school, school. Mm -hmm. that can that already are in places that can access it and have the resources to access it. They can drive their kids to private school. They can afford to pay the extra fees. They have the ability to show for their kids when they go to play soccer. I mean, when I've heard people say this is for affluent families along the Wasatch Front, and I have to agree. I mean, I'm sure there are families in Utah County and other places like that that this would affect in a way that feels positive to them. But I guess my question is always at what cost? Hold on, hold on. This does, I, I can't believe what I'm hearing. This doesn't sound like conservatives to degrade a public institution as a handout to the rich. I mean, listen, we could talk about the right-wing attack on public education until I am old enough to be in a casket. I just, uh, it's another attack on public ed. You're going to see it this legislative session. We saw it last one. You're going to continue to see it forever. But this is the most blatant financial attack I've seen in a while. And as someone who regularly buys supplies out of her own pocket just to be able to accommodate some of the needs in my classroom, uh, I would love to see this bill not pass. 
I, I would absolutely agree. And you know what? It's just shocking that that people who have the ability to take 45 days off to be legislators somehow do not uh, might not be the most in touch people on earth. Well, and what's wild is that they constantly complain that teachers are not up on the hill. And you know why? Because we're teaching. Well, you can't take the entire month of January and February off. No, (laughs) I'm too busy teaching your kids. Uh, One other group I neglected to mention are multilingual learners. Um, Again, there are federal and state regulations for how we provide services and resources to families of students who um, are learning English as a second, third, fourth, you know, not primary language. And uh, you also waive those rights when you go to a private school. So another population that would not be equitably served by this bill. No, that's shocking. I, I thought that they would be really be accepted in the, pri- in the private schools in Utah. Well, I think it's just really upsetting that we say that we are a family first state, that we love our refugees. But when push comes to shove and you look where the money is going, uh, that's not the case. That's shocking to no one who pays attention, but still right. upsetting. Uh, all right. Well, is there anything else you want to say about House Bill 215? Uh, I do want to be clear that basically every educational group in the state of Utah has been very clear about opposing this bill. Uh, The Utah Education Association, which is the teacher association, uh, Utah PTA, the parent teacher association, uh, the Utah School Board Association and the Utah Association of School Board Officials have all come out very publicly saying this is a terrible idea. Um, We know it's bad. Anyone who's involved in public education knows this is bad. And yet. We're, we're, we're still moving forward with it. Uh, I would like to let your listeners know that there are a few things that they can do to help us. Um, I know it's hard not to feel a little helpless when the legislature pulls stunts like this, uh, but there are a few things you can do. Uh, it would be really helpful if you could write your senators. Like I said, this has already passed the House, uh, so at this point, writing your senator is your best use of time. Uh, it would also be helpful if you could write the uh, Utah Senate Education Committee and we will post their contacts on Twitter. Yep. Um, I'm also going to put together a template that you can just copy. Please send it, personalize it, make it your own so that people actually read it. But it would be extremely helpful if we can flood these inboxes, making it clear that this is not what the people want. Uh, there is also an education rally outside the governor's hall at the Utah State Capitol mm-hmm. on Monday at 5 p.m. Uh, we are asking people to wear red if they can, but the most important thing is to just show up. Um I know that Spencer Cox is in support of this bill, but it's hard to ignore an entire rotunda of people who are angry about the actions you're taking. (laughs) He will, but it's hard. He will, but he'll be sad about it. (laughs) Um, Also, if you just Google find my legislator, Utah, it'll bring you up the first link for the Utah state legislator to put in your street address and it'll just take you to who your legislators are. But even if that's hard for you, listen, I'm a teacher. I will hold your hand the entire way. I will help you find it. Yeah, DM me. You can DM the podcast. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll figure out one way or another. Um, there are a couple other bills we want to talk about as well. Yeah. Um, SB one hundred, which is Todd Weiler's school gender school district gender identity policies bill, mm-hmm. which seems like there's been some swaps yesterday that even Equality Utah signed off on. But generally, it seemed like the original purpose of the bill was essentially to make it so kids couldn't socially transition within schools. Right. Gender transition. Yeah. Um, So the policy would be that schools and districts would not be able to change anything in a student's file about their gender identity or pronouns um, without clearing it with their guardian first, 
which for some kids is fine. But if you consider students that um, have a home that isn't supportive of that transition, uh, that can be a really dangerous process. So you are essentially asking trans kids to go back in the closet for their safety. Um, and obviously that's a huge issue. It's hard to say you're pro-life when you are doing things that we know actively raise suicide rates. Yeah. And I, I think that along with in conjunction with SB 16, the, the bill banning any sort of like trans health care for minors, it, it's pretty clear what the legislators taking their stance on when well, it comes to. Yeah. And there's another bill I'm blanking on the number, but it's the one that you can't change your vital records as a minor either. I so want to say health bill, house bill two, two, eight. Sure. Uh, it's the vital records yeah. amendment. Um, but just essentially saying that you can't change your birth certificate, you can't change your driver's license, anything like that um, until you are a legal adult, which obviously comes with dangerous implications as well. Yes, it does. Um, so anyway, SP 100 sucks. Todd Weiler still sucks. Always sucked. Will forever suck eternally. It's not surprising, but it is devastating to see how much the legislature uses their time to target um, some really intentionally marginalized communities. They're continuing to do that. I think that's their goal right now. Um, and I know that we like to say, well, it's parents' rights. We're trying to do it for parents. And, you know, I, I love working with parents, but there are just some times where that's not the safest thing for a kid. And my goal at the end of the day is to make sure my students are alive. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's generally it too. And I kind of comes to the root down of like a lot of the attacks on education in like the last couple of years is that teachers want to care for their kids. And when they see that households aren't, as, aren't adequately doing it, especially when it comes to areas of like LGBTQ kids, mm -hmm. like, I don't know what you're supposed to do in that case. Well, you're also just creating paperwork. Like I've had students that have asked to use different pronouns than what I had on their registration. And even if I knew the parents were supportive to say, no, I can't call you by your correct pronouns until I get written permission from your parents. It makes it very formal and very icky in a way that is unnecessary. I can just call a kid the pronouns they identify with. It's not that hard and it shouldn't take paperwork for me to do what's best for my students. Yeah. And generally it's good for education too, because if a child's more comfortable in the classroom, they're going to learn better. Absolutely. And it, it's, it's so silly to me that we can't even just do that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's been a fight for a long time and it's really unfortunate to see how, how swayed our legislature has been by some pretty extreme right-wing groups in school boards and households and communities that are really pushing for things that I don't think the general population agrees with. No. But when you get those people in office, here we are, we've got vouchers, we've got teachers being asked not to use correct pronouns. Um, and we it's, got, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And we got union bashing too. Oh, let's go into that one. <laughs> yeah. HB 214 by Jordan Tusher. I said it right this time. You did. I, I wanted to say like, like, uh, Jordan Kushner, Kush like Kushner. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But for some reason I kept doing that anyway. So let's back up and say that Jordan Tisher is the author of the bill that came out last year and thankfully did not pass. That was asking, um, teachers to publish their entire syllabus, including any material used during their school year, um, and give 30 days notice, uh, to parents if that was going to change at all, which anyone who knows the nature of my job understands that that's completely unrealistic. I can't respond to the needs of my kids if I'm having to provide written 
notification that uh, there might be a tweak to in 30 days from now. A month in advance. A month in advance. And again, this comes from these parent groups that are freaking out over the thought that their kids might hear about a gay person in their classroom or know the reality of the kind of ugly history of our country. Uh, it's very clear that this man is endorsed by those people. And so we're headed into his new bill this year. Yeah. And this bill is a doozy too. Um, it has a few provisions in it. First of all, you cannot deduct union dues from your pay, which, um, kind of is in line with the Supreme court ruling of Janice versus AFSCME, um, which generally just said that you don't have to pay dues to unions. If you are a public employee to begin with, which by the way, just a building block for a lot of things that are bad. Um, right. But there's a difference between not having to pay them and not being able to make it a payroll deduction. Yeah. Which is funny too. Cause, uh, Sharon GF, uh, I can't remember her name. Gallagher Fishbaugh. Yes. Yeah, Sharon Gallagher She's the Fishbaugh. Previous UEA president. The previous UEA president had a good tweet on that one too, where it essentially says that dues deductions cost nothing. Donating donations to charities deducted from paychecks cost nothing. And HB 241 is just union bashing. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll just ba- say very clearly that I've been a proud member of UEA since the time I was a student teacher. I'm in my ninth year of teaching, which means I've been paying 10 years of dues. Uh, it's been deducted from my payroll this entire time. Yeah. And so it, it just seems like it's trying to starve like unions of any sort of funding that could actually be used for, say, down the road, strike funds mm-hmm. for for benefits towards union members, for administration of unions. Well, I mean, I think it's just really obvious it's trying to make it harder to be a member. Yeah. That's all it is. They're saying, hey, you're going to have to set up this whole thing separately rather than just sign a paper and have it deducted for the rest of your career. It, it's supposed to just smother you. Yep. So that's that's a that's a great starting right there too. Another couple interesting things is you can't use public spaces for for union organizations at all, whether it's union efforts, whether it's trying to recruit. Which is wild. I mean, does that mean I can't talk to another teacher about joining the union on a sidewalk or in a park? Um, but realistically, we do use our school buildings for some of our meetings, not all, um, but we do have like school union meetings. Obviously, off of contract hours, not affecting students. Um, but if we're not able to meet or even talk about union goals, issues in our buildings, it's another thing that's ham- hampering our efforts, which is their whole goal. And my reading of the bill, too, which could be completely off because I get bored easily. Um, it's not a long bill. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. But um, for my reading is it's it stops any labor organization from trying to utilize public spaces for. Sure for for union activities and my brain couldn't stop thinking but are drifting to like well does this mean unions can't strike on sidewalks does it i think it's intentionally vague i think they're trying really hard to circumvent uh you know a lawsuit about the first amendment uh but it's very questionable and i think it would make a lot of union members very nervous um i don't know who wasn't able to get their coffee at starbucks one day during a union activity but it seems like someone's mad yeah and i i think the last portion of it that really kind of scared me a little bit was that uh, upon request unions have to inform organizations of how many members they have mm-hmm. which to me sounds like it's it's a union busting activity yeah it seems like they're trying to empower some scare tactics there so like if you know how many union members you have you know how many members you can kind of plan to get rid of or even or suss out how big of a deal a strike would be yeah you how many pl- substitutes do we need to bring in when these teachers are on a picket line how many scabs can we get or not even scabs just like can we 
I don't know, maybe scabs. I just, it's, it's a strategic effort. Um, and I mean, in a smaller organization than my own, um, it really can start to help you suss out who is in a union. Um, obviously in a school district, knowing the number of teachers who are part of the association is not going to help you know who is. Uh, but if you're looking at something like Starbucks unionizing and you know that on your staff of 50, uh, there's 30 union members, you can start to figure out who and who you can and cannot manipulate in order to bust some unions there. Yeah. So it is really kind of a, it's, it's not a great time to be any number of groups that Republicans hate in the state. Yeah. And it's just kind of a bummer because I think, I mean, you and I are both very pro union and I've been really excited to see how much labor organizing has been happening in the Salt Lake Valley recently. Um, I think if the pandemic made anything clear, it was how many people were being worked to the bone, underpaid, things like that. Um, and it's been nice to see people advocate for their own needs and then to have this kind of thing come up in the legislature is, you know, it's a, it's an attempt to squash that. Yeah. You can definitely tell who was, had the hell, the hell scared out of them in the last couple of years by union activity. Oh, absolutely. And obviously it's the people with power. And I mean, I'm all about disrupting power systems and, uh, <laughs> uh it's hard when it's put into code that you can't do that. It's not going to stop me, but it'll make me a little scared. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have anything else you have, to, you want to say for this, uh, legislative session or should we, Oh, just keep your eye out. Join me in disrupting power structures, you know, write your legislators, come to the rallies, make it abundantly clear where you stand. Um, I know those are very like following the rules things, but they count for something. Yeah, because at this point, I don't know if it, it will affect too much just because it's it's a bad situation. But hell, it's all we got. I know, but I would love to see this garbage bill stall out in the Senate Education Committee. The fact that they rushed it through the House tells me they know it's terrible. Yeah, they're 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 scared. Kill it. Yep. Um, before we go, I just want to also note, just because we didn't in the, in the beginning part of it, um, no opinion of Elise's reflects upon her <laughs> yes, employers. Yes, I am here as a representative of myself, not my district or any organization I am a member of. <laughs> She's going to give a sovereign citizen speech now about how she is her own person and <laughs> known traveler. I just would like to not lose my job, but I think that this is one issue that public education is kind of on the same page about that, um, this is a terrible idea. So besides the rally at the galley of the governor, I think that's what it was called. The, the hall D of the governor. Yeah. Hall of the governor. There you go. Do you have anything else you want to push? Please, please, please write the education committee and your senators. Uh, be polite. They don't like threats. Uh, make it clear you are a constituent. Uh, be very impassioned about why this is going to hurt so many Utah students and educators. That's perfect. Anything else before we go? I think we are good. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And then down the road a couple of weeks, maybe we'll check back in and see how everything's going. They can hear my voice again. Yay. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Anyway, folks, once again, Brigham Young Money, give to the Patreon, patreon.com slash Brigham Young Money. Follow us at BYM Podcast on Twitter. And that's it. Um, good luck with the legislative session, everyone. It's um, L. So anyway, bye. 